God is good. And all the time. That is an old school uh, call and repeat or call and response. Uh, But it seems fitting after the song that we just sang. I am so excited to be here today. And I'll be honest, I don't know if fewer people make me feel more nervous or less nervous. (laughs) Feels a little weird. But if you're watching online, thanks for being here with us today. Um, We are continuing a series called The Way, which is based on teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. And if you are with us today or joining us online and you are new to Christianity or you're not a Christian at all, I want to say thank you for being here today. It takes a lot to even hop on a stream or watch it later and just see what it's about. So I want to say thank you. And I want you to know that you're always welcome here at Meridian, whether you believe or not. We want you to know that we are going to do our best to love you the way that God loves us, whether or not you believe or not. So... I want to get started here, but I want to give you some information because sometimes when we're new to the church, we kind of say things like Sermon on the Mount, and then we just move on, right? And I want to take some time to slow down, talk about what is the Sermon on the Mount, why is it important, and I also want to say, again, if you are here and you are, you've been a Christian your whole life and you have questions about something that seems really simple, ask it right? Uh, You should always ask if you are questioning something or if you don't understand. So I want to take a minute and talk about the Sermon on the Mount. So what the Sermon on the Mount is, it's a large collection of teachings from a sermon that Jesus gave to his disciples and a large crowd of people who lived around the Sea of Galilee. Now, you can find references to the Sermon on the Mount in all four accounts of Jesus' life, which we call the Gospels, and that's the first four books of the New Testament. But the most popular one is in the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, and this one is the most popular because it's the most comprehensive or complete version of this teaching. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be going over the various teachings that Jesus gave in this sermon. And you might also be wondering why this sermon is more important than any of the other sermons or teachings that Jesus gave. And I want to say it isn't because it's more important per se, but it's the largest, which I guess gives us the most information. And it is, the sermon is three chapters long. Matthews 5, 6, and 7 is all the Sermon on the Mount. And that is a long form of teaching, one of the longest that we see in the New Testament. And in this, he establishes a few key pieces that we take from the Sermon on the Mount and apply it to the rest of our lives as Christians. And so one of the things that he establishes is that the kingdom of God is what a lot of modern Christians have come to call an upside-down kingdom. And an upside-down kingdom means that it's not the rich and wealthy and powerful or popular or lucky who get to be the first inheritors of the kingdom. It's the lowest of the low, right, who will have their favor, the favor of God rest upon them and have the spirit of God in their midst. God is doing something. The spirit of God can be found even in the lowest of stations, which is way different than anything else on earth where you have to have money or power or status in order to be the one on top or the one to have favor in your life. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's not what we're going to do here. And last week, you heard a little bit about that from Pastor Daniel when he talked about what we call the Beatitudes. But another thing that Jesus is establishing here is that he is the new Moses, which sounds really weird, again, if you're not a part of the Christian faith. So I'm going to try to break this down as best I can. 
So Moses is the one who received the Old Testament law. So when you think about the New Testament or the, the, the Old Testament, you think about the Ten Commandments, anything, any of those laws, Moses received those and gave them to the people. He was known as the teacher. But Jesus is giving the new laws of the kingdom here, which don't abolish the law of Moses, but fulfills them and gives them meaning in our life. It takes them deeper into who we are. So it takes the law from a list of do's and don'ts, and it brings them to a place of who we are on the inside. And that's what Jesus is trying to establish here. He said, I'm not getting rid of this, but I'm trying to turn this into something that's actually going to change you as people, not just make you look different on the outside. So this sermon acts as a skeleton or structure for how we are to view the Lord and each other. It is the way to survive the storms of life. And I love that Pastor Daniel called this sermon series The Way because something else is, that's cool about the Sermon on the Mount is it reflects really clearly the book of Isaiah. And I'm not going to get into all of that because it's a little too nerdy, even for me. But what I love about it is... In one of my favorite verses in Isaiah is Isaiah 30, 20 through 21, which says this. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of afflictions, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. The Sermon on the Mount is the way that Jesus wants the heirs of his kingdom to walk. So now that we've established the importance of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to move into the next teaching that we're approaching today, which is Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. But before we do that, I'm going to pray for us in our time in the Word. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, even on a really cold day. God, I thank you for letting us wake up and have the opportunity to expose ourselves to your word. I pray that you would hear our hearts, God. I pray that you would move in our midst. I pray that you would allow us to understand this passage more clearly. And I pray that you would use this passage to spur up something in us so that we can go out and reach more people for you. We love you so much. And in Jesus name, I pray. Amen. So if you want to, you can go, if you have the YouVerse Bible app, um, we have our sermons on there loaded in every week. So if you want to go there, you're welcome. But we're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. So you're welcome to just hop on wherever you're at or in your paper Bible. But I'm going to go through this verse by verse because Jesus packs a lot into this whole Sermon on the Mount, but especially these three ver- or these four verses. So I'm going to go through it verse by verse. And there are some specific takeaways in each verse that we can get from this passage. So we're going to start with verse 13. And I'm reading out of the NIV version. So it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So Jesus loves a good analogy, and there are, there's no short of them here in the Sermon on the Mount. This verse, Jesus is describing us as salt. Now, there are a lot of people with a lot of theories about what Jesus means when he says salt. Some people think that he's trying to compare seasonings salt brings to food with its unique flavor Christians bring to the world or makes people thirsty for the word. 
Some people think Jesus is comparing us to a type of nutrient that was used to stimulate growth in crops, the same way that we would be helping people grow out in the world and grow closer to God. And still some people think that Jesus is comparing us to the preservative properties of salt, the way that they would preserve meats, which we should preserve the kingdom of God here on earth. But here's the thing. I think it's way more simple than that. I think we can get really caught up in what we mean, what we think Jesus means by salt. But I don't think that's the word that he wants us to focus on here. So it says this. It's important to remember that the chapter or section breaks in scripture that we see in our Bibles were not in there originally, right? Jesus didn't pause and say, this is the end of the section on the Beatitudes, right? He doesn't say any of that when he's actually talking. We added them later to help us better understand. So sometimes it's important that we go back a few verses to help us understand where he's at in his teaching. And I think that's where we get the context for this verse really well and very clearly. So if we remember last week, the section before this is on the Beatitudes. So Jesus is describing downtrodden people, weak people, poor people, grieving people, oppressed people. And then he says, you are the people who will inherit the kingdom. So he's talking to the crowd that's around him, the people who's gathered, which are the disciples, people from around Galilee, people who want to hear Jesus. And he's saying, you know, blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are the meek, right? And he's talking to you, you will inherit the earth. So it says this directly, uh, verse 12, it says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you are the salt of the earth. Right? He's talking to a group of people who are downtrodden, weak, poor, and oppressed. He's saying that they have a purpose. The low and the messy and the poor are walking around praising God and thanking them for their inheritance of joy and peace and comfort. And they will be walking around with a passion that is otherworldly, one that doesn't fit in to the culture's understanding of why people should have joy or be happy or have comfort. But if they lose their fervor and passion and taste for the kingdom, then what good are they? Right? Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth because of what you've inherited from me. And if you lose your saltiness, if you lose what you've inherited, then what's the point? Right? If we lose our passion for God and all that he has done in us and what he can do for others, then why are we here? What does it matter? New Christians often have this fresh passion for everything that they've experienced. And it's lovely and wonderful to see. But if you've been in the faith for a while, my question to you is, do you still have that same passion as the day you first believed? If we have no passion and no excitement for what God can do with us, then the rest of this sermon series is going to be really hard for us, right? But what's amazing about God is that he can restore that passion in you, but we have to want it. Because if we don't have that passion, we can't do the next things that Jesus is asking us to do. And again, that passion can be restored. But if you don't want that passion to be restored, if you don't want to be salty again, then what's the point, right? What's the point of being here and coming to church and showing up and singing the songs and then going out and not doing anything with it? And not having that passion and that thankfulness that Jesus has done something miraculous in your life. And I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. If you lose sight of all that you're inheriting, 
and it doesn't matter anymore, and you don't care if anybody else gets it, then what's the point? How can it be made salty again? But I'm going to let you sit with that for a little bit, and we're going to move on to the next verse, all right? And that's verse Matthew 15, verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Again, these same people Jesus was addressing the Beatitudes to, the upside-down kingdom of it all, you are the light of the world. I think it's funny because we often call Jesus the light of the world, but he calls us the light of the world. And don't get me wrong, Jesus is what brings us life and light. He is the source. But wouldn't it be so much easier if just Jesus was the light of the world and we weren't? I think that would be so much easier if we didn't have to worry about it. But just as we share in the inheritance of the kingdom, we also share in the responsibility of the kingdom. And that's in being the light of the world. And we are a city built on a hill that cannot be hidden. There is this responsibility that we bear to be the light of the world because Jesus is gone. He went back up to heaven, and he sent us his spirit down. But if we refuse to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we will not be, a, we will not be good city on a hill. We're not going to be good at being the light of the world. And for good or for bad, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So if we are shining really brightly and doing really well, we cannot be hidden. That's really good. But if we're not shining really well... And, you know, our city, when they come and the light shines on them and our travelers come up, and if, if it's a rusty, crusty, dusty old city that's never been used or visited in years, maybe not a good look, right? Or if it's a city with really big walls that you don't even know anymore if they were designed to keep people out or keep people in, not a good look. And that city cannot be hidden because people are watching us. They're watching to see if we're really going to do what Jesus told us to do. If we're really going to love them the way that Jesus loved us. They're watching. And we have the responsibility to be beacon to travelers in the dark. We need to be welcoming to, we need to be a welcoming city to any weary traveler where life, safety, and light can be found. Because whether we like it or not, our city cannot be hidden. Verse 15. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. This reminds me of one of my favorite songs from Children's Church, which is This Little Light of Mine, right? And the teacher would say, you have your light out. And in the second verse, the teacher would say, hide it under a bushel. And all the kids would shout, no, I'm going to let it shine. But I've been thinking about this a lot because I think if we sang this song with teenagers or adults and we answered honestly, the teacher would be there and we'd all have our little lights out and we'd say, hide it under a bushel. And we'd all go, well, (laughs) now wait a minute, right? I think there are two main reasons that we have to seriously think about whether we're going to put our little light of ours under a bowl. And the first reason I think is fear right? We're afraid of what people will think about us. Will they like me if they still know what I believe? Are they going to assume something about me that's untrue? Or maybe even simpler, we're afraid to talk to people. I know that I sometimes am afraid to tell people I'm a pastor because I'm afraid they, they might not get it or they might be afraid to speak to me in a way that they're comfortable. 
I don't like telling people. I get afraid to tell people, which is crazy because that's my whole job, right, is to tell people about Jesus. But I do. I get afraid. But Jesus says that his disciples will be known by love. And if you're loving people the way Christ loves you to the best of our ability, we have nothing to fear. We are inheriting the peace and the joy and the comfort of the kingdom that will be with us as we share that love. But the second reason I think we're tempted to keep this little light of ours under a bowl is comfort. We're really comfortable. And this lesson is to me more than anybody because I love being comfortable more than anything else. I live alone, and some of my best days are truly when I never leave the house and I never see a soul. It's truly some of the best days of my life. If It would be perfect for me if I was only, my only social engagement was Sunday mornings, and I could see my friends that they're at church on that Sunday morning, and then I could go home and not see anybody again until the next Sunday. That would be wonderful, right? But it's not what's healthy for me. And it's not what I'm called to do. And it's not what I need, even though it's what I want. What's good, what is good about having a light if we never go help people see in the dark with it? We have to take this light out to the world, put it on a stand to everyone who needs it, and not just the people that we're comfortable with, which for some of us like me is no people, right? We've got to put it out there. We've got to put it out for anyone who needs light to have it. So we can't be afraid to give our light. All right, one last verse that we have here. Matthew 5, 16. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're in the home stretch here. And this is where I think we can dig really deep for our church here at Meridian. See, here at Meridian this year, we're asking everyone to pick one person to bless, which are those little green papers down here, which I know there's some of you who have not turned yours in yet. All right, so get them turned in. But we're asking you to pick one person. And while we would love for them to come to know Jesus the same way that we know and love Jesus, our goal is that, that they would feel loved by us and that they would feel blessed. So the goal isn't that they would come to know Jesus, and while that is what we want, And I want to put that out there for everyone. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes, right? Like, this is what we want. We want you to come to know Jesus. Because we think that life with Jesus is better than anything. But our goal for this one person is that they would feel loved. And that they would know that there are people here who genuinely love them. and And they have a place where, whether they believe or not, they can belong here. And that's the goal of the whole point of what we're doing. And we're going to be following a method called BLESS. And we did, we talked about this last May, but this acronym BLESS comes from a book by John Ferguson, which stands for, I think I have a slide here too, so you guys can see it, but it stands for Begin With Prayer, Listen, Eat, Serve, and Story. And this is a tangible way to show the love of God to our family, our friends, and our neighbors. So before we move on, again, we're asking everyone to pick one person or one family to pray for. And when we go into our processing time where we have uh, some more songs, I'm inviting all of you to come up. If you've not picked your person yet, write a name. If you need a blessed paper to remind you, these are just the same tags that were on our cookies without the cookie recipe. But it's the same steps, and it gives you ideas of what to do at each step. So if you want another one of those papers, they're up here and they're out in the lobby. But again, if you're online and you're coming back next week, they'll still be here, or you can email us, and we'll send them to you as well.
But during that response time, this is what you're doing. And if you've already picked your one person, we're going to do step one. So begin with prayer and pray for your one person. But as we move through this acronym, we can, with our one person or with another person, a neighbor, a random person that you meet, you can move through this acronym with anybody. But as we move through this acronym, we start to see some of the good deeds that bring light to people that we see in verse 16. Things like being a good listener, sharing a meal with people, or even helping them out with day-to-day tasks that can take pressure off of them. These things and so many more can all be a part of what this verse is describing. This goes back to what Pastor Brandon said or Pastor Daniel said last week. Jesus isn't practicing what he preached. He's preaching what he practices. And he's trying to explain to people the actions that he's already doing because they're so upside down, they don't make sense. So he's having to stop and teach what this means. When people see the light of God in action in their lives, they will come to glorify our Father in heaven. But we must do these things with a humble spirit. Because if we're doing it for our own pride, again, going back to the first verse, we've lost the whole point. We've lost a sight of what it means to be an heir of the kingdom and a co-heir with Christ. But also, we can't get stuck in the temptation to do nothing. Right? So we don't want to do it for our own pride, but we can't let that thought paralyze us or fear or comfort. We can't let that paralyze us to do nothing. We have to do something. Jesus is very, very clear about that. But we want to do these good works. We need to do these good works for people so that they may see our good works and be blessed. And hopefully through all of this, we can all bring glory to God in the process. So as the band comes back up, I'm going to close with a story. Uh, The last time I taught on this passage of scripture was at Camp Challenge in the summer of 2022. And you can go ahead and go to that next slide. But on Wednesday of that week, I got to baptize three people, two of them being Sam and Sophie Findlay, who go here. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. But after the baptism was over, we had a main service where Pastor Daniel was the guest speaker. And instead of being in our worship center, we were all around the campfire for service. And it was over being the light of the world in whatever context that you're in. And what we were going to do is we passed out candles, the kind of candles that we use for our Christmas Eve service. We gave them to everyone, and we had the three students who were baptized come up to the front and put their candles in the campfire and light them. And then those three students who were just baptized went to other campers and started lighting their candles with it. And then those campers passed it back. And it was supposed to be this really beautiful and somber moment. But God had another plan for us, and he had something really cool to teach us instead. See, the wind was strong that night, and while the campfire, the source of light, was burning really strong and had no issue, our little candles were, it was rough. Some of you guys were up here, but it was rough. They were blown out. Like, it was crazy. So students started huddling together and, like, trying to keep their candles lit, right? But they didn't stay there long because if someone else's candle went out, they would go out in groups of two or three. They'd venture out on their own and keep relighting people's candles. And you could just see this, like, giggling spread across the camp. We were giggling, and it was so much fun because even though it was frustrating and discouraging that the candles kept blowing out, it was like a challenge. It was fun, and we were all doing it together, and that's what I think we can learn from this. Being the light of the world can seem like a really daunting task, but when you're connected with the Spirit and with a community of believers, it can be really fun 
There is so much joy to be found. And that is my prayer for all of us, that we would realize not only is being the salt and light of the world our responsibility, but it can be a really fun adventure if we're willing to do it together. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for making us co-heirs in your kingdom, God. We thank you that you have blessed us in this way. I also, God, am thankful for the blessing of the responsibility to be the salt and light. I pray that you would continue to equip us to do good works that would glorify our Father in heaven. God, I pray that our spiritual fervor, our passion for you and all that you have done in our lives would would not fade, God. But when it does, I pray that we can approach your throne with a humility and ask you to relight that passion again in our lives. So be ready to go back out and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We love you so much and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.